right. Wish you were here. Have you ever got one of those postcards in the mail from somebody? Raise your hand. You can, you can admit it. If you got one of those, how rude is that, right? <laughs> like, if you really wish I was here, you would have invited me. You wouldn't be sending me this 50-cent postcard. But anyways, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about this morning. I joked this earlier that we're in a Pink Floyd series called Wish You Were Here, and not many people knew who Pink Floyd was, apparently. You guys don't either. But so you need to educate yourself in there. We watched School of Rock this past week with my kids, so you could start there. Um, but we're in a series called Wish You Were Here, and Jim kind of launched this series two weeks ago. Um, I'm going to pretend it was last week because it's easier for me to say last week than two weeks. Uh, we weren't here last Sunday. Um, but he started this series in this whole premise that all of us kind of have something we wish was different, right? Like we have things in our life that we wish were a little bit different. And maybe you watched last uh, week's message from Jim, or maybe you were here, and you wish that Jim would have rapped that song by Skilo that he mentioned, that I wish I was a little bit tall, you know? I wish he would have done that, but he didn't. He just played it. So, But we have these things in life that we wish were different, or maybe a future that you wish was here right now, or you wish you could attain. And we have these wishes for other people, for our friends, for our family. We have wish, and they have wishes for us. And we also have these wishes for ourselves as well. We have wishes, you know, I, I wish that my kids will grow up and that they'll be successful in life. They'll marry amazing spouses and that they'll live right next door to me, you know, after this phase of life. And, and uh, I wish that for them. I wish my dad will retire this season, uh, this year, uh, and that he'll be able to enjoy his retirement. Um, that he'll be able to invest in my kids and his grandkids. So I, I wish that for him. I wish, um, you know, someday I'll be able to own my own business and that I can just do that. You know, we have these wishes and maybe uh, I have a friend who's been looking for a new job, a new career, and I wish that he would find it and he would one day be passionate about what he does. But Jim introduced this idea and Taylor mentioned it this morning that he wanted us to wrestle with this idea that what does God wish for you? And that he he presented that to us as this, an option that, hey, maybe God has something in store for you, that God wishes something for you. But wishes are difficult, right? Like, they're kind of weird, like we love wishes, but they don't really do anything for us. You know, Disney tries to teach you, you know, when you wish upon a star, it doesn't get you very far. Like, that's the way the song should go. It doesn't. I'm not going to sing it for you because you don't want to witness that. But Wishes don't do anything on their own. We could wish for the world. You know, someone was wishing that they would win the megabucks or the lottery and said that they would buy a ticket because you can't wish you'd win and not buy the ticket. But all of us have these things in life and these wishes. And we, Jim shared this graphic where you have this wish and you're right here and then you want to get over here. That was real smooth. You see that? And so God wishes that there's a place where you would start here, but he wants you to be over here. There's something in store for you over here that God wishes for you. And maybe you wish it for yourself as well. And so we're going to talk about that. And Jim taught us last week this whole premise that you see the problems of your past. And we all do this. This isn't just finger pointing. We all see the problems of our past and they can keep you in one place. They can make you stagnant and not allow you to move forward. Or you can see the potential that God sees because he sees the potential of your future and what you could be, what you could do, what he could do through you. And so we're going to kind of flesh that out a little bit today. And I hope 
that you took some time and really tried to seek God and ask, God, what do you wish for me? Because it's not something that we can attain or something you can work towards if you're not seeking God and finding out what that is. And maybe you're not a Jesus follower and you're just kind of here because someone pulled your arm. I think that this works for other things in life too. This will be applicable to you as well. It's not all, you know, Bible teaching today, but we think that this premise and this message will be good for anyone who wishes that they were a little more successful or, or you know, they were a little bit um, closer to God maybe, or maybe you're just working towards something in life. And so many of us, we struggle with this thing in life that kind of holds us back, and it's where we're going to focus today. And maybe for you, it started at a young age, and at some point you developed kind of an uncertainty or a little bit of an anxiety and a lack of confidence in yourself. And we call that insecurity. Even the word itself is scary. It's got the word secure in there. Like, it's just, it's kind of a scary word, and we all deal with insecurity from time to time in our lives. And if you haven't, you will. And if you have, you know what it's like. And it's probably going to come again this past year. Um, me and my son, we started doing, uh, getting into hunting. That's kind of a thing we started. Weird to start that at 37, but we did. And uh, he's not 37, I am. And so we started to get into this whole thing of hunting. And so I had always been interested in it, but the whole hunter safety course just really intimidated me. And I didn't want to go take it I thought either I'd be embarrassed because I didn't know enough or I'd be in a room with like 10-year-olds and I would feel real out of place. And so it became online. So I took it online and I did it. And then, you know, you can't shoot birds with your fingers. So I needed a, a gun. So we go out looking for shotguns and I end up at Maine Military Supply. And there's just tons of people there. And, and I have no clue what I'm talking about. And I just, you know, I go, I need a shotgun. And so I'm waiting in line, and Jude's there, and he's excited because he's, you know, pumped about it. And this, like, insecurity just starts to well up inside of me, this anxiety, like, what are you even going to say when you get up there? Like, all these people are military trained, and you aren't, and, you know, all this stuff. And so I kind of say to Jude, like, hey, let's come back a different day when it's less crowded. And so we left, and I felt horrible after that. Like I, I set a terrible example for him, you know, that I let this get the best of me and I, I let him down and all this stuff. And maybe you have an example of something like that in your life. Or maybe when you were young, it kept you from trying out for, for baseball or the hockey team or something like that. Maybe it kept you from having successful relationships because you feel like you're just not good enough that you're not worthy of love. And so you just kind of sabotage your relationships without really kind of meaning to, but it just happens. Or maybe it caused you insecurity and you didn't step out and ask for that phone number of that person that you were interested in. And we all kind of have these situations in our life and we wonder, where did it start? Where did this come from? When did it begin for us? And maybe it's when you were young, maybe um, you know, your parents had these expectations of you that you just never could rise up to. Maybe you had an older sibling who was like the star of the high school and you just came in after them and everyone's like, oh, you know, you hope you're as good as your brother was or your sister and you just never felt like you measured up, right? Or maybe, you know, everyone seems to have a skill or they're good at this sport or that sport or they have this hobby they're really interested in and you just haven't found yours yet. And you're kind of just feeling insecure, like you don't know what to do in life. Or maybe 
Maybe it happened because of an abuse that you suffered. Maybe something happened to you in your childhood or in your young adult years that caused you to just question and and have this fear and anxiety about you, forcing you to hold on to those problems of your past. And so today we're going to kind of look at a, a good example of somebody who dealt with insecurities as well. And the great thing about the Bible is it's full of people who dealt with insecurities. Like that's the thing I love about it. It's not a book filled with perfect people. It's people that God chose who were far from imperfect. And so we're going to talk about this guy. His name's Gideon. And if you've heard of Gideon, if you grew up in the church, you probably heard the cool stories about Gideon. And you wouldn't think insecurity when you think about Gideon. I didn't grow up in the church, so I learned about him far later in life. But Gideon's known as like a mighty, you know, this like military strategist who defeats like 130,000 men with just a small group of people. And so that's kind of what you think of when you hear about Gideon. But what we're going to learn today is that's not the story in its entirety. That There was a story, Gideon, there was a Gideon before that. And so we're going to kind of focus in on that. And so we're going to be in the book of Judges, which I was thinking, this is probably the first time we've spoke from the book of Judges at Journey Church, but you should check it out. So we're in chapter six, and it begins with this. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah, not Oprah, Ophrah. I thought that that was interesting. That's probably where her name came from. I don't know. But that belonged to Joash the Abyssalite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So a little bit of background here, because you might read that and be like, okay, cool. So at this time, the book of Judges is called Judges because Israel is in this period of just like this endless cycle where they're close to God. God is, you know, with them and he's doing miraculous things and he's like protecting and watching over Israel. And then Israel falls into sin and then they start to worship other gods and they kind of forget about God. And then God says, well, like if that's what you want, and he lets them kind of fall into that. And then they all kinds of calamity happens and other people come and take captive of them. And then they're in this period of you know, just distress and oppression. And then a judge shows up or kind of like a prophet who says like, hey, you know, the Lord, your God is the one that you need to follow. You need to get rid of these other gods. And then they come back to God and then everything's good for a time. And then they fall back in. It's this endless cycle. So at this period of time, they're in that cycle where they're being oppressed by the Midianites. So any living thing that Israel has, any crops, any like, Uh, livestock, anything like that, the Midianites, they just come in and they just ravage the land. They take it all. They kill any living thing that's there or they take it for themselves. And so we have Gideon and he's threshing wheat in a wine press. And we've got a picture of a wine press. So this is like an ancient wine press. This isn't what new people do in this day and age. But you see, it's like a pit. It's down in the ground. Okay, if you've ever threshed wheat, I know we've probably got a few wheat threshers in here, but if you've threshed wheat, it's the you kind of separate the wheat from the chaff, and the chaff blows away. So when you thresh wheat, you want the wind to be whipping through, and it takes the chaff with it. That does not happen down in a pit in the ground. So Gideon is down in this pit because he's hiding. He doesn't want the Midianites to know what he's doing because he's, he's scared of them. They're probably going to take... The, the wheat away from him. He needs this to survive. So he's literally down in a pit, threshing wheat, hiding, probably scared for his life. He's not in a great place, okay? 
So he's down there and he's stuck in this pit. And I think that this is very important for today because have you ever been stuck in like a pit in life where you just feel like there's just walls all around you and you just can't get out? Maybe anxiety has just consumed you. I know this past year that that was a lot of people's story where you get caught in this period where all you look around you is just you know, weakness and, and anxiety and all of these things that keep you from attaining what you want to attain. And it's because of the way that we see ourselves. And that's what we're going to focus on today. It's because God has a wish that you were here. God has something big in store for every one of us. And the only way to get through that and to see what God is calling you to is to begin to see yourself for how God sees you. So we're going to show you another picture of a guy, I believe. This guy here. Did I skip? I did. All right. We're going to go back. We're going to get to Nick in a minute. So we're going to go back to this scripture here. All right. So it goes on. So Gideon's down there in the pit. And then it says, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you. And he calls him a mighty warrior. This is like the biggest part of the message. And I already missed it. But he says, you are a mighty warrior. God, the Lord is with you. And so if you're Gideon, you're sitting down there and you're thinking, I'm a mighty warrior. I'm literally hiding right now. I'm threshing wheat, which is probably the chore no one else wanted to do. And Gideon's just sitting down there threshing wheat. He's got no purpose in life. He's just down there doing the things that he needs to do to survive. And God comes down and he, he comes to him and he calls him a mighty warrior. And that's so important because today we're going to talk about that we can see ourselves and look in the mirror, but God sees something completely different when he looks at us. And so to understand that, we're going to take now, we're going to look at that picture of Nick. This guy is Nick. His last name is incredibly difficult to pronounce. Uh, Vujicic, that's what I'm going to go with. We're going to call him Nick today. Nick was born with no arms and no legs. He was, his doctors told his parents that he would amount to nothing. He wouldn't be able to go to school. He wouldn't be able to like function in life. He would just you know, have to be constantly supported and helped and, and just disabled his whole life. And as Nick began life, he ended up going to school. He started to do things because his parents believed in him. And so he's attending school. And as he goes there, he begins to see all of the other people the, the normal kids. And so they, he doesn't have what they have. He can't do the things that they can do. And he begins to let this affect the way that he viewed himself. And he says in a speech I, I listened to, you can find a lot of his speeches online, but around the age of eight years old, he tried to take his own life at eight years old because he didn't feel like he was enough. He said this. He said, I started believing that I wasn't good enough, that I was a failure that I would never be somebody that people would like or accept. I couldn't change my circumstance. I couldn't just wake up one day and say, hey, give me some arms and legs. And now Nick travels the world. If you look up this guy, you can ask me for his last name and I'll spell it for you. He literally, can, he swims, he surfs. Like he's, uh, there's like videos of him playing basketball. Like he has no arms and no legs and he's doing the same things everyone else does because he one day 
picked up a Bible he talks about, and he began to see himself for the potential that God had for his life. And his parents spoke that into him and said, you're not just a person with no arms and no legs. You're special, and we love you. And they invested in him and told him that he could do more than he thought he could. And so this morning, we're going to talk about, or we're talking about how we view ourselves, and that sometimes the way that we view ourselves is far different than the way that God sees us. If you, you want to check it out in, in the book of Romans, it's a great place to start. God calls us more than conquerors. It's a, it's a moment where Paul's talking to the church in Rome, and they're dealing with famine and death and persecution. And Paul says that on, on all of that stuff, all of those things, they may be happening to you, but we're more than conquerors of all of it. You're more than it. You're not just like conquering it and defeating it. You're more than that. And in other parts of the scriptures, it says that we are children of God, children of God, that we have a father who's in heaven. He calls the, we're called a royal priesthood. You're royalty. Think about that. His special possession. It's another thing that God calls us in his word. This last one is my favorite. Sons and daughters of the king. Did you know that we, if you're a Jesus follower, you are a son or a daughter of King Jesus? Not a king. Notice it says capital T, the king, the one who rules over all, the beginning and the end, that we are children of the king. That's amazing, and that should empower us. And so Gideon is here threshing wheat, and, and the angel of the Lord shows up, and he calls him a mighty warrior, and he says, the Lord is with you, and he doesn't even discuss the mighty warrior part. Gideon replies to him. He's like, um, pardon me, Lord, right? Like, there we go. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied. But if the Lord is with us, I don't think he is, but if he's with us, then why has all of this happened? Why am I in a pit hiding from my life right now if you're with us? Where all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said the Lord, or did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us. You're telling me that God's with us. If this is what God is with us feels like, then I'd like to try something else, right? But the Lord has abandoned us. He's given us into the hand of Midian. And if you're a parent this morning, you're probably thinking, oh, here we go. The excuses are starting in, right? Like as soon as you ask him to do something, all the excuses start rolling off his tongue. And, and all these things, they just start building up. And as you're in that pit, that's all that you can see is the reasons why you can't move forward, why you can't do the things that you feel that God is calling to. And you might have plans for me, God. You might think that there's this other future and this thing that you wish for me. But when I look in the mirror, I just see weakness. I just see shame. I see fear and excuses begin to just pour out of Gideon before he even gets to the mighty warrior piece. And I think that in today's culture, we like to all think that we're so unique, that we're like these one in a million, you know, little snowflakes. There's no one other, other person like us. And my life is so different than everybody else's. And I have all of these excuses that, you know, no one's going through what I'm going through. But God's like, hey, I've dealt with that before. I've seen that before. And in fact, probably the excuse that's keeping you back, someone's already you know, accomplished that. Someone's already overcome that. In fact, your current circumstance, if you drove here this morning, you're better off than 90-something percent of the world because you rode here. I showered in hot drinking water 
where one in three people in the world don't even have clean drinking water to drink, to live off of, and we shower in it every day. So God says, hey, I wish that you were over here. And too often we say, I know, but, but I've got this thing going on, and, and I'm not strong enough, and I, I know other people can do big things, but I'm not bold enough to do that. And it's like, God, you know, when you're a parent, you got to cut your kid off. He's like, hey, listen up, okay, listen I see a mighty warrior in you. I see more than you have in front of you. I see a future for you. You might look around and see weakness, but I see strength. And he moves on. It says, the Lord turned to him. And he said, and I like how it says he turned to him. Almost like he said, hey, the Lord's with you. You know, you're a mighty warrior. And and it's like he thought that would be enough. But he's like, oh, I got to go back and tell you more. He says, go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I'm with you. Am I not doing something about this? Go in the strength that you do have. Because rooted in our our insecurity is this fixation on our weakness, isn't there? When you start to feel insecure, like all of this stuff just begins to boil up, and that's all that we can see is the strengths that we don't have, the weaknesses within us. But God is saying, you know, you have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses, right? But you have strength. There is strength within you. And he says, go in the strength that you have, not the strength you're going to develop over time, not the strength that you're hoping will arrive one day, that the strength that you do have that God gave you. And so he says, go out in strength. And God has given you exactly what you need. If God needed you to be better looking to accomplish what he has for you, he would have done it. If he needed you to be smarter, he would have made you smarter. If he needed you to be stronger, he would have made you stronger. But he made you exactly the way that you need to be to do the purpose that he has for you. Because he's going to fill in the gaps. He's going to be there. And the thing that makes this so difficult is this thing called social media, right? Like we love it and we hate it at the same time. We love it and we hate it because social media, it, it provides this endless scroll of comparison, doesn't it? This guy, he's a pastor, Stephen Furtick, he said this, we compare our behind the scenes with everyone else's highlight reel. How true is that? That's what, that's what Instagram is, right? We're going to show a picture of, this is from my vacation a week or two ago. I talked about York Beach the other day. We go to York Beach every year with my family, and so this is my family, my mother-in-law, my beautiful nieces, and, and my son, and my girls. And so we're there. This is the Goldenrod down in York Beach. We love going there. Awesome candy, great breakfast. And so we go there, and this picture looks great, right? Everyone's smiling. Like, this is my youngest niece right there, Hadley. She's like three years old. She was just adopted by my brother and sister-in-law. It's amazing. Um, everyone's smiling in this picture. And if you scroll on Instagram, you'd see it and think, wow. They had the perfect vacation. Look at that family. It was 97 degrees, okay? No one wanted to smile for this picture. You ask a group of kids, can we just get a quick photo? Everyone's like, no, it's the worst, okay? But somehow my sister-in-law made, I don't know if she Photoshopped it or what, but everyone looks amazing in it. But you don't know the backstory that we had to literally fight and, and, you know, bribe them to smile in this picture, but you just see what we want you to see. This is another picture. I'm full of pictures today. This is my son, Jude, and Lucy. This is from a couple years ago. This is the classic first day of school picture, right? 
And as you can see, you'd probably look at that and think, man, those keys are kids. They're so kind. They love each other. They're standing there. They're smiling like Brian and Gretchen are doing a good job. You look at that. And you might think that. And if that's how we put it up there, that's what you would think. But this is the uncropped version of it. That's my daughter, Lennon, <laughs> losing her mind. Okay? And they're just like, don't look at her. Just... And so you can crop that out. And that's what we do, right? We crop out the pieces of life that we don't want anyone else to see. And we just throw it up there. And everyone sees that and they think, man, if only my kids would just smile more often. If I had better kids. And maybe you're feeling discouraged today. And you're thinking about your career and how it just feels like you're in this dead end. And, and you just want so much more out of life. And, and all your high school friends are successful. They own businesses. And, and they're CEOs. And they're all this stuff. And you're just wishing that you could take that leap of faith and, and go out and find like a really nice career. Or maybe you're sitting at home or you're single and you're kind of, you know, you're just there and you just wish that you were married and all your friends are married and they have kids and they have these perfect lives. And, and you look on Instagram and, and you just see your friend who's at home with her kids and they're, you know, she's loving life. They've got popcorn and they're snuggled together with their kids and they're watching Moana for the hundredth time. And it just looks so perfect. But then, you know, you have your married person and they're at home and they're stuck at home and it's Friday night and they're sitting there and they're vacuuming up popcorn. They're Googling how to get starburst out of a kid's hair and they're listening to Moana talk about her weird obsession with the water for the thousandth time, thinking if I could just have one night as a single person again and be out on the town with my friends, right? It's all about our perspective and we just compare ourselves to other people. Andy Stanley, he said this, there's no win in comparison, because there's not. You'll never win that battle. You'll never win it. The best thing we could do is stop comparing ourselves to other people, because I'm not you, you're not me, and we're not each other. The best thing we can do, because as a follower of Jesus, I'm talking to followers of Jesus, if you're a person that claims Jesus, and when your moment comes, when you've sought after God, and, and God begins to reveal to you a plan for your life, something that he wishes for you, you can either remain paralyzed by your past, by your current circumstances, or you can step out in faith empowered by the strength that you do have, that God gave you. Because do you believe that God has something for you? Do you believe that God, you know, has a plan for you? That's a serious question. We talked about it last week. It's a serious question that we should give serious time to. Because I know that coming to church is fun, right? You get to see your friends, the people that you don't hang out with during the week, but you see them one day a week, and it's great to see them. And, you know, we sing great songs, and Jim usually gives a great message, and you feel good when you leave, and, and that's all great, you know, but, but does God really want to use all of us, or does, doesn't God only really want to use the professional Christians, you know, the people that get paid to do church? Like, that's what we think sometimes, is that, you know, all of this stuff, like, God has a plan, but he wouldn't have a plan for me. And that's so far from the truth, that you might look at yourself, and you might think, that you are just, you know, I'm just a nurse. I'm just a mechanic. I'm just a secretary. I'm just a, a person that works at this dead-end job and all of these things. But God has a plan for you. He wants to do something amazing for you. And he sees a future for you that's so much grander than the circumstances 
of your life. He wants more for your life. He wants to use you to reach your coworkers, to reach your family, to reach your neighborhood, to reach the things of God for, this, for your community. He wants you to be an ambassador for him, not because he needs you. He doesn't need me. He could do, he launches kingdom across the world without Brian Kieser, but he invites me to be a part of that. And he invites you as well. He says, go in the strength that you have that I've given you. Because you know what? You can thresh wheat and still be a mighty warrior. You can do both of those things. You can be a stay-at-home mom and you can be a person that the devil fears because you are just on mission for God and you're doing amazing things. God says that I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. That's something to get excited about, right? Like God has something for each person in this room. But even after that, Gideon has more to say. He's like, well, you know, strength that I do have. He's like, come on, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, right? He's just like, pardon me. And I feel like that's so sassy. But he says, pardon me, Lord, but how can I save Israel? Like me, how can I save Israel? My clan, it's the weakest one in Manasseh. Like, we're the lowest of the low. You're really scraping the bottom of the barrel, God. And I'm the least in my family. I'm the one that got the job threshing wheat. He's the least in his family. He's probably the weakest, probably the youngest, if he's the least in his family. And maybe like Gideon, you're still not convinced that there could be a future for you. And maybe you need to be reminded that you are not your father. You're not your mother. You're not your grandparents. That you can break the cycle that's holding you back, that's holding your family back. Because when you look beyond the problems of your past, you'll begin to see God's potential for your future. I firmly believe that. Gideon knew that he didn't come from much. He knew that he was one of the weakest in his family, that he knew that he had this long line of probably failures in his family. And he knew, and he said, God, you know, how can I do anything? How can I save all of Israel? And his response is this. He said, because I will be with you. You have strength. I've given it to you. And you're going to go because I'm with you. And that's the difference maker. That's the thing that's going to take this to the whole next level. And so we're not going to, we're going to end kind of there with Gideon's story, but I'm going to tell you a little bit about it, where he went from there. Like in Judges 8, if you want to follow along in your Bible at another time, Gideon begins to believe what God has said about him. And so he, he gathers a bunch of men together, around 32,000 men join Gideon to go fight the Midianites. And God's like, ah, that's too many men. Send like 20,000 of those home. And he's like, seriously? So he sends them home. And then he's got still too many men. And then God's like, no, you got to send some more home. And then he's like, I need you. He tells Gideon, bring the men down to go get a drink of water and I'll sift out the rest. And he asks them to drink from the water. And depending on how they did it, God chose those people to be with Gideon. So he ends up with 300 men going up against like 130,000 Midianites. And Gideon is successful. And it says that he went, they went on and they're pursuing Zeba and Zalmuma. Malnuna, Muna. They're kings of Midian anyways. They have crazy names. And so they're pursuing these kings to take them out, right? And they're just causing destruction on their way. And they're seeking after them. And they get to a town called Succoth. And I did not make that up. <laughs> the Bible's awesome. So they arrive in Succoth. And they go and they find the guy who's like the ruler of that town. This is an Israelite town. So it's 
their friends, right? And so they go to them and like, hey, we need some food for our troops because we're in battle. And the, the guy is like, nah, I, I, I see what you're doing, but I feared the Midianites more than you, and I can't give you bread because I can't be associated with you. So sorry, you're going to have to go somewhere else. And so Gideon looks at him, okay? He says, really? He looks at him. And this, this response reminds me, if you grew up in the age that I did, when you do something wrong, what's the phrase that you fear the most in life? When, for me, it was this. When I was acting a fool and my mom was you know, trying to discipline me and I just continued to carry on, my mom would say this phrase. She'd say, just wait until your father's home, right? And that would just strike instant fear in my life. And so Gideon looks at him. He's like, all right, you don't want to give us any food. That's cool. But just remember my face. Remember this. And he tells him this. He says, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars when I return. When I come back through here, after I destroy all those kings, I'm coming back and I'm going to tear your flesh with desert thorns. Like he means business. He's like the Terminator. Like I'll be back and you don't want to see what's coming. And so he does that. And this is a kid who's sitting in a wine press threshing wheat in, in secret because he doesn't want to be seen. And all of a sudden he becomes this like crazy, you know, mass destruction warrior for God. And he's destroying people on his way. And that's because to see how God sees, we need to believe what God says. And God has called us to be more. He has called us children of the king, and he has called you to a purpose that is far bigger than any one of us. And you have strength, and he's saying, bring what you have, I'll fill in the gaps. God didn't choose Gideon because he was, you know, this crazy tactical mind. He said, I'm going to use this kid, this weakling, I'm going to make him a mighty warrior. And then when everyone hears what happened, they're going to think Gideon's pretty, good, pretty darn cool, and they're going to say God was with him. Because how else would they have been able to defeat that many men with 300 people? And so to close, I'm not going to belabor this any longer, but I just wanted to share a few weeks ago, I started this weird new bedtime routine with my daughter, which happens sometimes. I'm a goofy person. And I started to, when I say goodnight to her, and she thinks it's funny. She also thinks it's a little annoying. It's probably both. That's kind of my character in life, I feel like. And so when we lay down, I ask her about her day. And I say, you know, how's, how's the best part of your day? What, what did you like? What did you dislike? And we talk about those things. And then for some reason, I go and I, I kiss her goodnight. And then I look her right in the eyes and I tell her, I say, you're pretty. She goes, thank you. And I say, you're beautiful. And she says, thank you. And I say, you're smart. And she says, thank you. And I say, you're an awesome dancer because she does dance. And, I was, and she says, thank you. And I just go through this list of like anything that pops into my mind that as I look at her and I'm like, you're smart, you're, you're more than enough, you're brave, you're an awesome sister, you're a great big sister, you're a great little sister, you're an awesome friend, you're beautiful, you're more than enough. And I tell her all of these things. And at first it kind of started as a joke, but then over time it started to make me feel like she needs to hear these things. Because as we go through life, and life is so hard that we are continually comparing ourselves and other people are comparing us and trying to tell us how we're supposed to be and how she's supposed to look and what she's supposed to be like. And I want her to know that I see her differently than she's going to see herself someday. And I want to remind her that she is more than enough. 
Just like I want to look in the mirror and I want to be able to see that I'm more than enough. And I want to see myself the way that God sees me. And the only way to do that is to dive into God's word and see what he says about us, about us. We all need to be reminded from time to time that we are more than enough, that you are more than enough, that you are beautiful, you are loved, you are enough, you are strong enough, you have all the bravery that you need to step out because you are a son of King Jesus. And that should excite you, that should empower you, that you are a daughter of King Jesus. And that's amazing, and you have infinite value to the king. So I'm going to pray for you guys. Chris is going to come. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to just think about that as you pray, as you think, as Chris does this song, like that I am a son and a daughter of the king. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you see so much more in each and every one of us than we see in ourselves, that there is no limit to what we can do when we walk with you, Father that you have chased us down, that you loved us first, and we thank you so much for that, God. I pray that each person in this room will take this week and begin to realize the, the value that they have in your eyes, that they are more than enough to do great things, and that you want to do great things through each person in this room, God. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen.